0: Um, y'all turn with me in that Bible that he's talking about to Second uh, um, Timothy chapter 3. All right, let's read the scripture. Last week, uh, uh, we'll read it re- here in just a second. We, we talked about the development of the Bible uh, that we have today. You know, It took a few hundred years for it to get to this stage. At least the New Testament did. It took even longer for the Old Testament. But uh, anyway... Uh, let's read a scripture here to kind of kind of set the stage for the whole thing. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. He's talking to Timothy. He says, From childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, and salvation is the point, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this about the scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. All right, so all Scripture. Well, first of all, what is the Scripture? We talked about that last Sunday. That the Scriptures, as Jesus defined them, were the Law of Moses, the Psalms, and the Prophets. Those three groups wrote books that became the Bible, the Scriptures. Now, according to this one, this verse here, every one of those scriptures, whether it was through a psalm, or what Moses wrote, or the prophets, were given not by the will of man. That's what Peter added. It wasn't by the will of men. It was by inspiration from God. God moved on people by his Holy Spirit and produced through them what we now call the Bible, All right, the scriptures. Now, this word, it says, uh, they were inspired by God. That word, inspired by God, is a Greek word. And I love this word well for it. If you've got a Bible like well, my a Spirit-filled Bible. Uh, Jack Hayford really, I think, pegs that thing. It says that word literally means God breathed. The breath of God. You know, when Jesus sent his disciples out at the very end, he breathed on them and said he see the Holy Spirit. And then from there, they could go do the things that they were commissioned to do. So, the things that were given to us in Scripture were first inspired, or God breathed on them. He sent the Holy Spirit into them. Now, so what they ended up producing was not according to man's or a human being's intellect. It was from God. However, God does use our intellect. He uses everything that's within us, our whole facilities, to write what we write. It's not like he just makes us a robot. We're not a robot. He literally takes uh, us and our experiences in life and blows on them with inspiration and revelation of what they actually mean and produces what we call the Scriptures. A lot of people live with a lot of things, folks, to produce what you believe today. They live through it. And, in fact, the Bible says in other place that all those things were written on behalf of you. They were written for your sake. The ends of the earth have come upon you, and this whole Bible was written for your sake. So it's something we can rely upon. It was, it was forged through fiery trials of people's lives as they were moved by God. Well, they all point to one thing. Uh, the underlying theme of the Bible points to Jesus. The whole deal is a, the plan of salvation through Jesus. Now, some of them were speaking about things that they didn't yet understand, but they could sort of see stuff and they wrote it down. But, but as we look back now, we have the, the, the benefit of looking back in time. We can now see for sure that the whole thing was directed to Jesus. And there's even scriptures to that point. Now, this is a point that, that we sometimes kind of have trouble with. The scriptures themselves are a message, all right? The scriptures themselves are not God. They are the message of God. Y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying there? Don't, don't idolize this book. No, there, you can make mistakes doing that. In fact, people make mistakes doing that. It's all about the message of the book. Jesus said it this way to the Jews, who knew the scriptures of that day as well as anybody. I mean, they knew the scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament yet, but they had the Old Testament now. Forty books. And he said to them, "Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. But they are they which testify of me, and you won't come to me. So you think about that. There the book was. Speaking to people who knew the book, and all along they never got the message of the book. Jesus was the message, and He said to them, "It never really entered your heart." He said, "I know you. That the word is not in you, and the love of God is not in you, which should actually follow when it comes. The word comes into you, the message of it." God is love. He so loved the world he gave his son. if I know you, even though you know the scriptures, you won't come to me. In fact, you want to kill me. Now isn't that weird? <clears throat> that the people who do the scriptures ended up killing me. People have not thanked folks. Same, same format we got today as they had in those days. So it's not just uh, knowledge of this book; is understanding what it's about. Judge Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the great jurists of our time, said that a word, a word, is the skin of a living thought. We're not looking for the word; we're looking for the thought. What is the thought? The message of the Bible: salvation. Through Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so that's what we always need to go through. Does it lead me to Jesus? Does it lead me to the things of Jesus? Does it show the things of Jesus? If it doesn't, there's something a little wrong. All right? So, look at First Peter. First Peter 1. Peter 1. Once again, we said that the three facets of the scriptures was the Law of Moses, the Psalms, which majority were written by David, and the Prophets. So, the Prophets prophesied, and the words that they spoke became a part of this. Peter talks about that here. In 1 Peter 1, verse... Uh, <clears throat> He talks about the salvation part. He said, this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ. Now, that's a key term, the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, And the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, to those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the same Holy Spirit that inspired the thing was delivered to them by ministers speaking by the same Holy Spirit. Now, he said these prophets prophesied beforehand, Not for themselves, but for you. And what was used, what was short of these things? The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Who was in them. Isn't that weird? The Spirit of Christ was in them, and He, the Spirit of Christ, prophesied about what? The sufferings that Jesus would go through, and the glories that would come after that. Both. It wasn't for them. It was for you. It was for other people. All right. So, let's talk about that. The word sufferings. They testify before the hand of Christ's sufferings. This word, the Greek word is pasco. And it means, well, we get our word passion from it. Are you passionate about anything? <laughs> That's kind of a watchword, I think, for the millennial generation is that are passionate about things. Passion. But it also means to suffer. And literally, it means that you feel the experience of whatever's happening to you. Something's going on, and it touches you in such a way that, I mean, you actually feel it, and you feel it deeply. You know, it literally grabs you. And uh, you can't get away from it. You can't blow it off because the band was controlling your day or your time. All right? So Jesus had these moments where he suffered. And the experiences that he went through, he felt them. They're not all bad. I mean, he healed thousands. And he fed thousands. Those were pretty good. But he also got killed. He had thorns stuck in his head. All kinds of stuff. He was rejected by his own people. How, about, how would that make you feel? We get all upset because someone does a, you know, they dislike us or turn us off on Facebook. Well, whoop dee doo blocking. blocking, thank you. There's a term there. I, didn't, I couldn't get it. I didn't grow up on Facebook. Passion. <laughs> this, uh, scripture I, uh, this, uh, this Bible, uh, sufferer, I have says what this is referring to, the beginning of the passion of Christ, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When man and woman fell, and God came to them, and he told the woman that there was going to be war between Percy and Satan. That that's the beginning of the passion, the war. He would, Satan would literally strike her on the heel. It would hurt. Okay? That's the beginning of the passion of Christ. And he gave another scripture that refers to this same passion in Isaiah 50. Turn there, if you would, real fast. Isaiah 50. Verse 4. This is one of those prophecies given by inspiration of God. By the Spirit of Christ that was in this man. And literally the Spirit of Christ in this man was speaking about what Jesus was going to do 600 years later. Over 600 years later. All right? Isn't that amazing? 600 years later. He said about himself. The Spirit of Christ speaking about Jesus. Verse 4. The Lord God has given me. Did you know it capitalized me? It's talking about Jesus. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the Lord. But I should not have to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as to learn. The Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious. Nor did I turn away. Which is a very interesting thought. Why would he be rebellious about learning something? Maybe it has to do with passion. Suffering stuff. Feeling the experience learning something that you did not really want to learn. I was not rebellious. I didn't stop it from happening. I didn't run away from the process. I lived through it. And he's opened my ears that I would know how to speak to people. That's interesting, isn't it? In other words, the ability to speak was predicated by the ability to hear and to appreciate what was going on before I speak. Keep reading. I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me. This is truly messianic. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be ashamed. That whole section is about what happened to Jesus when he came. They plucked out his beard. They struck him in the back. And so I was not rebellious. God was showing him what he was going to have to suffer. And I was not rebellious. I didn't resist it. I would have had love do it. In fact, I set my face like a flint. I'm going to do this. Now, that phrase right there refers to the last couple of months of Jesus' life. And he made his last lap in his tour and turned to go back to Jerusalem. All of a sudden, he knew, in three months, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. And he had to make a decision. Am I going to finish this trip or not? If you knew that if I drive Odessa when I get there, they're going to kill me, would you think twice about going? I would. Of course you would. Do you think Jesus didn't think about it? And he called that, I have a baptism to be baptized of. It's a baptism of fire. He was about to enter his fiery baptism of choosing to go ahead and finish the course. Man, what a deal that is. All right? Setting his face like a fit and doing. But there was another thing that was still in front of him. Look with me if you went to Matthew. Matthew chapter twenty. <clears throat> <clears throat> he's right on the outskirts of Jerusalem though, by this time. He's about to enter in. And he has one last thing he's got to say. Verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. James and John. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Stop for a second. I just spoke to you about the baptism. It's a baptism of fire. He got that when he chose to set his face like a flint. The Bible says he did that when he when the time came for him to be offered up. When it came time for him to be offered up, right then, the decision had to be made: yes or no. And he said yes. But when he got there, he says to this lady. Are and to these disciples, are you able to have the same baptism and to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? So there are two different things here. And we know that that cup is a cup of suffering. He drank that cup in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God, did he not ask God, take this cup from me? And what was the response? uh uh-uh. And what was his response to that? No. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Three times he asked that question. I would be asking at least three. Can we make a deal? So they come the suffering. And he asked the disciples, are you able to do those two things? Take the baptism of fire. I've preached about this before. That's an interesting deal. It literally feels like you're on fire from the inside out. And you can't get away from it. You know you shouldn't get away from it, but you want to. It's not pleasant. The cup of suffering, likewise, is the passion. The suffering is about to come. And he's begging God. If there's any other way to perform this salvation plan, let's go there. No. But he asked the question of you, of every disciple. Are you able to do this? And he usually read them, they said yes. And you know what his answer to them was? You shall. You shall. If you want to be a disciple or at the highest level with him, this is for you. Now, I said a lot of things before I said it was for you. If you want to be a disciple, number one, at the highest level, number two, this is for you. Not everybody will do it, let's be honest with you. I mean, most of the things I've suffered in life, if I knew beforehand that it was going to happen, I would not have chosen to do this. That's the truth. But God is good about leading us. He's smarter than we are, for one thing. Hebrews 2. The stage has been set. The disciples want as much for Jesus as they can get. He says, well, here's your cost. Here's your cost. Hebrews 2. Verse 10. It was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom all things and by whom all things and bringing many uh, sons to glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So here's one of the reasons for sufferings. The passion of it all. The experiences. It perfects you. You want to be perfect in God? This is the ticket right here. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are set apart into this work are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of this sin I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. So he's telling that to you. Look at verse 14. Inasmuch as much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same now first, let's just stop for a second. here's how this plan is going to start unfolding. you find a people who are under the dominion of something not from God or that's been abused. My question was, when we were first created folks we were created in the image of God and in his image, the likeness of the image of God and God said it was good and he gave us dominion over everything and we blew it. We blew it. And we lost our place in Eden. And we fell. So God had become, in Jesus, find the state that we are in. Sinful, defeated, headed to hell. And he put, took part of that division. All right. Here's how he became Messiah. He joined you where you are at and took the same feelings that you feel and used them to help you, you. as he As we were partakers of the flesh, but he himself shared in the same, that through death he might destroy the, him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So whatever you are uh, under bondage to, Death being one for all of us. He abolishes that and releases you from there by going where you are and suffering what you suffer. All right? Keep reading. 16. And indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Look at 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tested, he is able to aid those who are being tested as well. So you're going to go through tests in life. Jesus had to go through what he went through in order to go through that test with you. Now we all know these kinds of things. They're really great. We love them. But he asked the question. Can you drink the cup too? And we said yes. We said yes. So here's how it works. This will be in Acts chapter 9. show you an interesting thing. Acts 9. What is the message from our suffering? You I know mean, the message is from his suffering? It's the Scriptures. The Spirit of Christ in these guys wrote this. They suffered. They, they testified of the suffering that he would go through. So what's the message that your suffering brings forth? That's the question today. Is there a message in all of this? There should be a message. Let's look at one of the examples of Paul. at 9. Such an example he is. Well, like verse 1. This name used to be Saul. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that he found any who were of the way, Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, folks, he is a perfect example of what we talked about earlier. When Jesus said, I know you. You search the scriptures, but you want to kill me. There was nobody that was as learned in the scriptures in that day as that guy. They had, a uh, schools and, uh, the, the Ganaleo was the head of the best school around. It was like Harvard is to us. And Paul, Saul was his best student. Think he didn't know the scriptures? And what was he doing? Killing Christians. And they weren't just Christians, they were Jews. Why was he killing Jews? He thought they were heretics. So he thought he was doing God's service for killing them. All right? This is what I'm saying about. Find the message. What are they pointing towards? And if you do not have, get this, if you do not have the Holy Spirit who inspired the message, you won't get the message. And it's amazing to me the battle in the church from the get-go has been over the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We'll do anything but let Holy Spirit do something. Is this true? Oh, it's amazing to me how we resist him. We just resist him. We want to control, folks. And he doesn't want that at all. He wants to lead you. You've got to let go of control. Well, Paul went to visit for Saul. He's out there trying to find these Christians. And he runs into Jesus. You know, the the light comes from the heaven and strikes him off that donkey. He lands on the ground and Jesus speaks and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. So every time you touch one of these, you're touching me. All right. Well, that's a wild one. Every time you touch one, you touch him. So he goes to Damascus and a God prays for him to get healed. And verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, the guy was going to pray for him, go, pray for this man. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For, look at verse 16. For I must, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Same word, pastor. So we have Jesus who went through these sufferings in order to bring you the message of salvation. And now he's telling this guy, I'm going to show you how much things you have to suffer for my name's sake. I wonder if it's for the same reason. He's sending him to people who don't know him, Gentiles. So he's, he's fixing to pay the price of being the messenger. Amen. Well, look at Galatians. And now we'll, we'll just read some scriptures that Paul wrote. I mean, after that, he did, I would imagine some things happened to him. Well, one of the things he did was in Galatians. Galatians 1. Verse eleven. If I make known to you, brethren, that the God I will make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. Your suffering, here's your goal. That through your sufferings, you might receive revelation of Jesus Christ. Things you don't know. That's what revelation is all about. Paul in another scripture said, I pray that you would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he moves on to an amazing, this amazing prayer. But what you should be looking for in this experience of life is the revelation of things you don't know. Amen. Amen? You're on a path of things you don't know. And it's Jesus Christ. It always ends up in Jesus Christ. And Paul, when he got, he talked about it later, when this happened to me, that rode to Damascus, I didn't judge around these other guys, these other apostles. No, I went into the wilderness. And there's a good reason for that because he was causing trouble everywhere he went. Even after he got saved. I mean, the whole town was in enough war because of Paul. And they literally had to get him out of there because he was disrupting everybody. And then the town had peace. And so for like seven years or something like that, I mean seven, seven or eleven, somewhere. He is out there learning from God. I hope that does something. But he didn't receive it from man. This revelation did not come through a man. Why? Because the inspiration of God is what he gives it. It's not from the intellect of man. It's through God. And she reading. You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But look at this thing. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, then I might preach him among the Gentiles. I um, did not confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles. So what was the point that God wanted to give him? I'm going to reveal Jesus in you. Now, I'm telling you, the things that you suffer is the Spirit of Christ in you. Just like it was in those guys in the Old Testament who wrote the Scriptures. And then the guys in the New Testament who wrote the other scriptures, the Spirit of Christ in them was testifying about the sufferings of Christ. And sometimes he ain't done yet with the sufferings of Christ. I'll show you what I mean. Look at Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. That's interesting, isn't it? The afflictions of Christ. I'm suffering the afflictions of Christ in my body, those afflictions which are lacking. In other words, there were some more afflictions that had to be accomplished. There was more suffering that needed to be done in Christ for the gospel of Christ. Do y'all understand that? It's plain English, is it not? I'm, I'm, I'm taking on some of the things that Jesus took on. And not just Jesus, but Old Testament... Picture writers. The Spirit of Christ was in them too. Do you think any of those guys suffered? Oh my God, go read them. He's full of it. So when He is in you, and He wants to use you, how many of you ask God, would you please use me? How many of you ask God to use you? So why are you complaining that you're suffering? I mean, Honestly. He's using you. i have having real trouble with that please. The word afflictions. <clears throat> interesting word. That's the instrument of suffering. We talk about it many times. It's the word blisses. Tribulation. You do what blisses is, don't you? They're pressing down like a sack of free letters or papers. They press down. They're free enough to leave. It is your will. If it's your will, you get out of it. You can run. Run like a dog. But if you say, based on your choice, like the choice of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, yours be done, then what it produces, all that pressure on you is the oil that comes from the olives being pressed, and the wine from the grape being pressed. It's the things of God. That's what it produces, the anointing of God. So he says, I get pressed, and I'm choosing to stay in it, and by doing it, I'm filling up the rest, or some more, of the afflictions of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, that he did not finish. He left some for us. Did he not ask, can you drink the cup? Drink it. That's Look down at verse 27. This is his message. He says, there was no Christ in me. For the Gentiles, God was willing to make known one of the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. See, it's not just the sufferings of Christ, folks, that he wants to produce out of you. He wants the glories as well. Our problem is that we've got the cart before the horse. We want the glory. And we'll get to those sufferings later, maybe. Right? How many you have made that mistake? We chase the glory. But we don't want that other stuff, if at all possible, and we've got enough money to make that not happen. Not good. Not good. Not God's way. Look at Philippians 3. Another, book to Paul. Let's first start with Philippians 1. Here is the method of getting there, okay? Look what, uh, is written about Jesus in Philippians 1. Uh, Philippians 2, sorry. Look at verse like. 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Do not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, in other words, he emptied himself, that's a great word there, he emptied himself of reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming to the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So, this is called the great emptying of Jesus. He left heaven for you. For God's sake, what a plan. And if that wasn't enough, he came in the form of a man. Not an angel, but a man. And if that wasn't enough, it was a bondservant of a man. Who you give up your own will for the will of somebody else. And if that wasn't enough, he humbled himself even to die for you. And let this mind be of you. Which is also in Christ Jesus. And God exalted; him. Gave him his name above every day. Here's your glory. Philippians 3. See, we see the same pattern in Paul. He talks about his resume. About what a great Jew he was. Jew among the Jews. I mean, he was the best. Pharisee of Pharisees. Seven, but what things were gained to me. All these things I gained. Smarter than everybody. Read more. These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I count all things lost from the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Here we go. As I empty myself of myself, it hurts. Folks, you can't offer a sacrifice to God and that costs you nothing. If you think you can offer God a sacrifice um, with somebody else's money or life experience, think again. If you really want to please God with an offering of your body and your life, it's going to hurt. Underline it. It does hurt. Getting yourself hurts. And He did that. In verse 8, I count all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, And I count them as rubbish. Make sure to clean that that word up in the the King James. It literally means dung. Bovine scatology. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here's your reward. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, and this is an amazing one, and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is one of the weirdest things I have learned. Fellowship. Koinonia. This is giving and exchanging. Giving and taking. It's amazing. It's it's a relationship thing. Marriage is supposed to be all about koinonia. Your marriage bed is koinonia. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Okay. Cause you're such a stud. <clears throat> it's Is giving and receiving. She has things to bring to the marriage that the man doesn't and likewise. And you give and you receive. And the two become one. Koinonia! And there's a koinonia in sufferings. Cause he suffered. When you go there, I'm telling you, I have never found anything that brings me closer to, to him than my own suffering. I, 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 it's just amazing to me. My reward from all that, and I've been through a lot of that, was I should worship him in spirit and in truth. It's amazing. I don't care what anybody else around me is doing, and I go straight up to him. And if there's anybody else with me, boy, it just magnifies the thing. That's my reward. That's the reward of the kind of suffering. Is that right there. And we know that Jesus did it. So did Paul. And if you do it, there's something in your future. Philippians 2. I'm sure this will get a hallelujah. Verse 17. Yes, and if I, and it's not if, if I am being poured out as a drink offering, On the sacrifice and service of your faith. And I'm glad and rejoice. This is where you move. Your suffering at some point ceases to be about you. Now, I will give it to you, and I'll grant you this. You should get this. At the beginning, it's all about you. You know, I mean, all you do is wish it would stop. And, you know, in that... I mean, what's the whole point of this? And, you know, it's, you're pretty self-aware. When you're getting the crud kicked out of you, that's all you really think about is you. you. you I'm right. I did it. At some point, when you've done his will, and you're with him, sitting in, high, in heavenly places with Christ, you join the lives of other people, And you become a drink offering on the sacrifices of their life, on their development of faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that go out of your head? In other words, let's talk about your kids. Do your kids ever go through problems? Are you being used, perhaps, On the development of their faith, it actually costs you more than them. Anybody ever bought that t-shirt? You're literally becoming a drink offering. You know what a drink offering is all about? It's an old testament deal for sacrifices. They really used it when they had burnt offerings. I mean, they added a drink offering to it. It was complete. In other words, nothing was left over. Nobody got anything out of that. I mean, you, you, you gave it all. Nothing left. And so, when, you, when God sees your life in a place where he could use you for his glory, he will use your life to add to the sacrifices that other people are making and complete their sacrifice. You might be used by God to help them get delivered. Or to take the next step. Or to walk at a higher level with God. Do you believe this? Do you want it? That's a good question. That's a good question, isn't it? Like I said, not everybody will drink because of suffering. Because you know what it's about? It's about Jesus. And not you. You're with him now. Now you're knowing what he did. You're knowing him. You know how he feels when He's said, Father, is there any other way? Take this cup from me. And he looks and the disciples are sleeping. And three times this happens. And he says, they're not going to make it without me doing this. They can't beat their flesh up enough to do the will of God. I have to do this part. And give them the power to do his will. Are y'all with me? Do you understand my words God, hope you did, because this is where you're going. If you want to be the bride of Christ. Yeah. Oh, that's not fair, really. Because when he comes back, he's looking for a people who are called the remnant, the bride. And, and they will see him close. why? They will be like him. What did he do? He suffered. And he's looking for a bride who is a worthy of him. I'm made helpful for his call. Who can really bring something to the table. Who can coin an ear with him. Bring something lacking. And you aren't going to get there if you're not willing to take the touch. You're looking at me like I'm an idiot. Is a horn going on my head? 2 Corinthians 1. Here's how it works. I mean, you see it right here. It's just so plain. Verse 3. Blessed be the God the Father, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And, and I want you to put where it says us, put yourself there. And you put somebody else's name there. Who comforts us, comforts me, and all my tribulation flips us. That I may be able to comfort others who are in tribulation. He comforts me that I can comfort, so I can comfort them. What he gives me, I can give them. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and I'm saying they will, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. If, oh look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and comfort and your salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. In other words, you're going to go there too. And the things I'm going to add to the table for you will help you get through it as well. If we are it, it's for your consolation and salvation. I love that. And I hope for you it's steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, you will also be partakers of the consolation. That's the plan, folks. One more, chapter 4. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. This is how we get there. Look at verse 8. We, I'm talking about me. If you want to go through this cup of suffering, for others' sake. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I don't like any of those, do you? The first time I preach, I thought, you know what? He said he's hard-pressed, but he's not crushed. I feel crushed. I feel perplexed. I feel struck down. All the things he's not, I feel. Cause I hadn't got through it yet. I hadn't gone through it. Always caring about verse 10 in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death, that's suffering, for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our flesh. Look at verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now, we're talking about a higher level of being a disciple of Christ. I, I, I know that. But don't, I just want you to understand that it has meaning. You're going to go through something whether you like it or not. What you do with it is yours. All the, who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Yes. <coughs> There's no doubt about it. You can't ignore it. But can you gain the reward of it? Yes. How many psalms have been sang by people who have suffered something terrible? Y'all remember that song by Danny Gorgie? Uh, what was that? Tell your heart to breathe again. You know what, you know what it's about? You know why... That song ministered to me so much after my wife died. Because his wife had died. And he sang that song. Death worked in him. And that suffering produced life in me when I was going through the same thing. How about, uh, what was that other one? Jeremy Camp. How about that guy? His wife died. How about, is it mercy being that did, I can only imagine? They made a booty, didn't they? What was the point of it? His father was an abuser of him. Did it produce life in you? How about the ministers of God who preach? Do you know anyone who's ever suffered? I was died twice and almost died another time. Does it, has he ever touched your life? Now what I see happening here, this is my point, I'm bringing all this spirit across spirit of prophecy, what's happened to us right now? I see God bringing us closer and closer to situations, especially with leaders that need to produce the revelation of Christ on behalf of the people they minister to. And they don't know what it is yet. But they're leaders of vast portions of the body of Christ who are embracing the doctrines of death. And they wonder why they're not prospering. And yet they are blind to this. That perhaps their doctrine is off. Well, how can they hear that it's off unless God sends them a messenger? And how can he go unless he's first walked the way of these guys? And let's smack into Experiences of life is killing him. And they're not getting why. Why am I suffering? So that God can give you the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. And you can maybe see with your eyes that you're persecuting Jesus. Just like Paul did. Get the revelation. Your suffering has meaning. Get the revelation. And then go tell your people. We've got to change. This is killing us. Does that make sense to y'all? We're being drawn into that. And so, here's the problem. Here's the problem. As we were drawn into that, and this is my first rodeo with this, my first reaction actually was to go, well, pull a on them. You know, you're obviously wrong. You're a heretic. But the thing I can't run it into, and I'm not kidding you, the whole deal about the understanding of the message is not to be legalist. You see, understand that the whole point was to save people yeah. who were the enemies of Christ. I was one of them. So why can't I just pull a rope up now that I'm in here and say, well, you can't come until you get everything right. How many things I have right when I got saved? Nine of Zero. And what, what I'm seeing now, is these are leaders, these are portions of the body that need to become a part of the whole body, and they have some stuff that is right. I mean, some of them matter more than hardly anything. They have the love of God. Wow. The love of God? How can this be? Yeah. Bad doctrine, love of God. How many of you in here today love God? Go ahead, get your hands up. How's your doctrine? Sure. Sure. Join me, all ye Pharisees. I found myself being Pharisee of the Pharisees, just like Paul. Or I would have never married her. I was making it personal, huh? I'm going to smack into my law. And condemn myself. Well, she's divorced. Oh, well. Oh, my God. And you're a preacher. Well, Phyllis is divorced too. Y'all know that?
1: So I'm, I'm a real bad guy.
0: You know, I mean, this is—he's following me. What's going on? <laughs> That's right. Too late for everybody already. Let's read through it. You want to do to me? I hope it does it to you. It's humbling me. He's given this treasure of the the real point of it all—the message. The broken vessels. He is. So let your suffering have a purpose. Humble yourself. Ask for revelation. And then ask God to use you. Amen? Did y'all learn anything today? I hope you did. Father, I just pray, I'm gonna pray, that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And let it come down like James said, Wisdom from above. Not demonic. Wisdom from above. That is first peaceful. God, we, we, have, we have centered out on things that are not peaceful. We choose finding. God, deliver us from ourselves. Give us your Holy Spirit and let us walk in it. That we would not fulfill the lust of my flesh. And my, the lust of my flesh is that I want to be right. I got to be right, God. I repent. You were right, and you chose me. Well, no, I wouldn't. Forgive me, humble me, and I pray that you can use me. And I pray that for all of us, in Jesus' name, Amen. Tonight is six, and if you want to do something, with will see. See, not for me.